Hello everyone and welcome to the Workwise Pod, a weekly podcast in which your hosts Deepak Menon and Sujata Rao talk about how we can make our workplaces better, not just more productive, efficient and impactful, but also fairer, more empathetic and fulfilling. Today's the first episode of the Workwise Pod and Deepak and Sujata are talking to Shashi Nair about how employees and organizations can improve both engagement and well-being at work. Shashi is a systems thinker, practitioner, and teacher of well-being, an alumnus of IIT Madras and IIM Bangalore. Shashi has 27 years of experience in the corporate sector and 13 years in the social sector. Stay tuned. Hi, Deepak. This is our first podcast, and it's so relevant that we are starting with a subject that everyone is concerned about right now, our health and well-being. This pandemic has really focused people's attention on physical, emotional, and mental well-being. And I think it's not just because of the virus, but also because it has caused such dramatic changes to the way we work. People are struggling with work-home life balance. You know, they feel disengaged from work. There's an enormous level of burnout, anxiety, and stress. And so many people seem to be struggling to bring some balance and positivity back into their lives, isn't it? That's right, Sujata. The pandemic may have spotlighted these issues, but these issues have always been at work. In fact, the Gallup poll conducted year after year has consistently shown that 85% of employees are disengaged at work. Over the last decades, People have been talking about poor work-life balance, about feeling stressed, overwhelmed at work, even as they were spending a lot more time at work. Mm. 85% disengagement is, is really quite high. And organizations cannot ignore the issue of employee well-being anymore. In fact, the conversation today is beginning to shift to how organizations can make well-being a central or core part of their organizational strategy itself, and not just as an add-on employee wellness program. Yeah, that's true, Sujata. As a leader, I need to first acknowledge that employee well-being has become central to how my organization works and behaves. But I have other competing pressures as well from customers, from bosses, from investors, from government officials. Sometimes I just know, don't know where to start from. Yeah, so I think this is a good time to bring Sashi into the conversation and help us deep dive into the idea of well-being in the organization. So Sashi, how real is this problem? So I think the problem is a very real problem. I think that the way organizations are functioning at the moment, there's a huge amount of stress that people are feeling. Uh, there is this issue of constantly looming deadlines. There's a huge amount of performance pressure. Uh, there's a lot of interdependence, which means if I don't play my part, somebody else gets affected. I let down the team. And to add to all of this, uh, there is the issue of concern about job security, the long hours that we need to put in and things like that. So I think a lot of the problems are coming because of the way work is structured. And I completely agree that we haven't really got a handle on how do we focus on well-being. And I, I think part of the problem is that for some people, the idea of employee well-being seems to be, 
in opposition to an organizational well-being. So it is like something extra that you need to do, which is going to cost you a lot more. And it's not seen as something which can actually help the organization in a number of ways. So Sashin, then is well-being the opposite of ill-being? Actually, not exactly. The thing is that we use certain words as opposites, but they're not really opposite. Love and hate, for example, we use as opposite. But the opposite of I love you is that I don't love you. It's not that I hate you. The opposite of I hate you is I don't hate you. So uh, there's a continuum from ill-being to a place where the issues that you face in the workplace, such as the great amounts of stress that you face, are removed. But that doesn't bring you into a space of well-being. Well-being is a space where you experience a great deal of positivities. You feel that you're in safe and healthy relationships. There's a very high positive energy that you have. And you're filled with, you know, hope, joy, optimism. You feel that your career is something that's really fulfilling. It's rewarding. You enjoy spending time in your career. So well-being is something that's experienced in the moment. Moment by moment, we experience this idea of well-being. So that's the way how well-being is different from uh, ill-being. So just by removing ill-being, you don't actually get to well-being. And that's an important point to look at. That is interesting, Sashi. So it seems to me that there are many dimensions and characteristics of well-being. Could you expand on that a bit more? So I think well-being is something that's fairly holistic and it has a number of dimensions. So there are things to do with, you know, uh, physical well-being. There are things to do with uh, our own psychological well-being, our own state of mind, our social well-being, our ability to relate with one another, our sort of intellectual well-being, where we feel confident that we understand and know our domain of work or study. We are able to do it very effectively. It includes our sense of spiritual well-being, a sense of connectedness with you know humankind, with other beings, with the planet, with nature. It includes economic well-being, uh, where we have clarity about what is it that we really need and are able to ensure that we have adequate in order to be able to meet those needs, uh, as well as our environmental well-being, our ability to breathe clean air, have clean water, stay connected to nature, and so on and so forth. And all of these have an impact in terms of well-being at the workspace. If I, for example, am sleep deprived, it affects my physical well-being. If I'm stressed or if I have poor relationships with people or if I feel a lack of confidence in being able to execute my work effectively, if I feel that I'm not getting enough to be able to cover my real needs, these are all things that affect me. My inability to breathe clean air affects my ability to participate in work. So well-being is this well-rounded thing which has all of these dimensions and all of them have a relationship with my ability to show up and work productively and contribute to and be part of a happy, healthy atmosphere at work. Right. So when we say that we need to begin to think about actively creating well-being at work for employees and organizations, how can we begin to think about this? And how do you think we could begin to move along the spectrum of, you know, sort of removing ill-being and moving towards more well-being? So I think first it's good to take a look at what does it mean when we start looking at well-being in the organization, sort of before getting to how does one do this, right? So the question is, how does the organization 
thrive and flourish. Because if individuals living in a state of well-being leads to the organization declining, then that's not a healthy thing. So it has to happen in a way that the organization itself thrives, right? And that has to do with, for one, making sure that the employees are happy, satisfied. They see a collective sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. They enjoy coming together. It's a pleasure working together. You, you sort of enjoy each other's accomplishments. And participating in work is something that's fun to be. You operate from trust and respect, from a place of autonomy, responsibility, emotional pride, uh, and ownership in the organization, and so on. But for this to happen, it's important to figure out how can the organization create such a conducive environment in which the organization also thrives and flourishes. It's not an either-or kind of a situation. So how do we design organizations that enable well-being for the organization itself as well as for the employees? So actually looking at individual well-being in the organization and the well-being of the organization itself is somewhat easier. What is far more difficult is looking at simultaneously the well-being of society and the well-being of ecology, that things are ecologically appropriate and sustainable or regenerative, as the case may be. It, it very much depends on what is the nature of your business. So let me start from the outside, because that's a larger picture. And the more alignment we can build around the larger picture, the easier it becomes to build alignment towards the smaller pictures. Yeah. So if you want to look at how your organization can run in such a way that it takes into account, let's say, environmental well-being. I think the first place is to start with your mission. What is it that your organization is trying to do? And in trying to do that, what is the impact it has with respect to the environment? So for example, I work in the well-being space itself. So working in the well-being space, it's much easier for me to be able to align uh, the purpose of the organization to the environment. But Imagine I was in the aerospace uh, industry instead. In the aerospace industry, by default, you're creating some kind of an environmental impact. So it becomes a lot more difficult. So I have to ask myself, what am I doing in the aerospace industry that actually has some beneficial impact with respect to the environment, or at least minimizes the kind of harm that can be done to the environment? So if my work happens to be in the space of, let's say, reducing emissions, then I am helping from the environmental point of view. So the further out you go, the far more difficult it becomes. And you have to start at the level of the mission and look at a kind of mission which can actually work at the environmental level or for that matter, even at the you know human societal level. And for me, I think what's important is making it directional. As long as the direction is right and we are constantly working on it, we will get there sometime. So otherwise, it looks like such a daunting task that we may not even get started and that will be a terrible shame. Yes, it is challenging. And leaders often shy away from looking at this because it is complex. And there is fear that they may be taking on something very difficult. I mean, forget ecological well-being. Leaders struggle to even focus on employee well-being in their organizations. Yeah, so assuming that we concentrate on individual team and organization well-being for the moment, how can organizations get going on the well-being journey? What can leaders do? Right. When an organization operates in a particular way, it has cost implications. 
And those cost implications can shift the value propositions which exist out there in terms of the customers you're going to serve. And therefore, there is a risk that you may actually have customers walking away from you because they would rather vote with their feet if they find that uh, somebody else is providing a service uh, which at a much better value point to them, even though that other organization may not be particularly bothered about well-being. So the fundamental issue comes down to getting your business model right. And that is a very creative process of trying to understand and reimagine and reposition what you can do in the business so as to be able to meet the external needs. I think you started off by talking about the employee engagement levels. For sure, there is a huge difference in the quality of what people produce when they are much more deeply engaged in the organization. So that's why I'm saying there's a sort of back and forth between these things. The question then becomes, what is it that you can do at the level of the employees in the organization so that they can feel far more fulfilled? And while you're doing that, how can you also make sure that you're not losing out in a way that your organization ceases to exist because of what you've done. So I think that's the larger principle. You know, how do we keep these in balance and how do you keep them in dynamic balance? And how do you constantly improve the opportunities for uh, individual well-being? And how does that individual well-being contribute to organizational productivity, for example? A huge amount of productivity increase can take place when individuals are happy and fulfilled. And it's a matter of taking the incremental steps in that direction. So Sashi... What are these incremental steps that organizations could take? I think the most important thing to understand about well-being is well-being is a state of being which exists moment to moment, moment to moment. So it's actually what we do in the moment which results in our well-being. Yeah. So in an organization, what is it that we are doing moment to moment? And are those the kinds of things that people enjoy in terms of the nature of work that they do, in terms of the relationships that they have with other people. Okay, And let's take this incremental approach that we are where we are. We need to start building it systematically, little by little, uh, not with a huge game plan of things, but try something, see what works. And as it works, stabilize that, put it into place, go to the next step and so on. It just starts by having open, trusting conversations with people to ask, how can we make our work more enjoyable? How can we relate to one another better? What does it mean for you? And I think just asking that question and hearing what people have to say and listening with an intent to see, are there any creative alternatives that start emerging is a great place to start. So Sashi, what kind of resources are out there for people to lean on as they commence their well-being journey? There is tons of material around. Uh, on well-being. I think uh, there's a lot of material around in the space of positive psychology, which is worth looking at, because that's where it moves away from the lack of ill-being to moving in the direction of well-being. I think it's really worthwhile for people in organizations to spend some time, and these don't need to be anything expensive. They can actually be sometimes even free resources which are available, but spend some time trying to understand why are they in the state in which they are? Or why are we in the state in which we are? And it's not always easy to pick up because things may have always been like this and therefore we think this is okay. 
It's only when you start experiencing these positive states that you actually realize how positive a state you can actually be in and how much your energy can shift and how much you will be able to work almost tirelessly in doing stuff that really matters a great deal to you. So I would say that spending time trying to begin to understand what are our habit patterns from which we are coming? How does it affect our state of happiness? How does it state affect other people's state of uh, you know well-being? Because a lot of what happens in organizations is interpersonal as well. And what I do can affect somebody else. And what somebody else does can affect me. So the more that I'm able to begin to understand what is my way of looking at the world and how can changing my way of looking at the world make a difference. You see, a lot of what we do, our own assumptions about happiness are largely based around an if-then formula. If I study hard, I'll get good grades. If I get good grades, I'll get into a good college. If I get good, good, good college, I'll get a good job. If I work hard on that, I'll get a promotion. If I get a promotion, I'll buy a bigger house. It's all built on if then. And our assumption is that our well-being is always in the future for efforts that we put in now. And I think this is a myth which is worth busting. It goes back to the idea that well-being is something moment to moment, how am I feeling? Moment to moment, how am I feeling? You know, having listened to the importance of well-being and in some sense also the concept of well-being that you've been talking about, what do you think would be one or two things that our listeners could keep in mind as they begin to move in this journey towards well-being for themselves, um, you know, their families and societies, but also for the organization. Maybe two or three things, Sashi, that you would recommend as the starting point for remembrance as well as action. So I think I would say that the very first thing at an individual level is to recognize that we actually have choice about our state of well-being. We are not as helpless as we sometimes feel and that pending time in trying to understand why are we in states of ill-being and what can we do in order to move in states of well-being, I think is the first place. Because the moment we do that at an individual level, we are settled, we are calm, we are centered and we start positive ripples going out from us at the individual level. And that will affect not only ourselves, and our families, but also our workplaces. At the level of workplace, I'd just like to say that it is something that bringing about a shift in the well-being as a play, at a place of work is something that is doable. It doesn't have to be something that we take on as a mega project. We can take it incrementally in steps. We can make it possible for people to enjoy this journey. And a large part of it depends on the person who wants to take this initiative, learning to be received as a person who is uh, open, transparent, trustworthy, authentic, wants to see positive things happening, and to hold a space for people in which people can be invited to think about these ideas about well-being and explore what is it that they can practically do in small steps at this point in time to change their situation while not also compromising where the organization needs to be and where it needs to get headed. And to recognize that when you get onto a journey like this, it's just a matter of continuously engaging with it. It's not one massive blueprint that we are talking about, but continuous steps. For me, I think these are the two most important things that can be done in order to be able to move on the well-being journey. Yeah, I can see how individually we can move on these steps incrementally. 
and that organizations can pay attention to this. So are there some design principles or models that can help organizations do this more consciously and move into that space of well-being? So as we look at the question of how organizations can move into a space of well-being, one model I think which can be quite useful is the model of teal organizations. And I suggest teal organizations for a certain reason. One is that teal organizations are built around a certain set of core values. So if well-being is something that the organization values, let's say we're talking about a 10% organization, 20% organization, right? If this group of people collectively believes that well-being of individuals and the organization as a whole is important, then embracing the teal model can actually be quite useful because what then it happens is that each individual in the organization has a great deal of autonomy to do what they think is right as long as they're following the advice process. And in the advice process, if I'm following the advice process, I'm expected to consult all those who will get affected by my decisions and actions and then choose to do what makes sense to me after taking consideration all of the advice that I received, including saying that I'm not going to follow some of the advice that I've received. But the moment I do that and I have the freedom to choose what to follow and what not to follow, I've also got to take responsibility for my actions. And of course, it's understood in TL organizations that mistakes will be made, but we have to learn from them along the way. So if I do this, I can actually do this in a framework in which I care for my own well-being as well as the well-being of others. And that is informing the choices that I make as I move forward. So if you see it that way, the culture of the organization setting can be extremely energizing for people with the freedom, the flexibility, the caring in order to be able to do what matters most. Sujata, you also been mentioning about teal organizations. What are teal organizations? Yeah, Deepak. Frederick Lalo's work on teal organizations has been quite influential. So, you know, teal itself is this really beautiful blue-green color. And Lalu, in fact, uses colors to show the evolution of both individual societies, but also organizations across these different stages of consciousness and maturity, right? So, for example, you know, societies start in the Lalu steel model with the color red in terms of sort of might is right. And then as thought breakthroughs occur, such as, for example, division of labor and a clear command structure, a different stage or state of consciousness in organizations and societies come into being. So from red, for example, we move into the amber organization where order and discipline is seen as the key. For example, you know, we've got the army, which is traditionally representative of that kind of organizational thinking and structure. And then from that hierarchy, machine-like organizing principle, as people begin to seek more innovation and creativity, organizations move into what Lalu calls the orange state. And from that orange state, when human beings begin to seek collaboration and belongingness. Lalu says that the organization moves into what he calls the green stage, right? Where there is a sense of the organization as a family. Now, the stage of evolution of the organization, as well as societies in, in that sense, after that green stage is what is referred to as teal. And this is the space where 
uh, or this is the moment or these consciousness where the organization is viewed as a living organism, which has essentially three characteristics. A, self-management, B, wholeness, and C, evolutionary purpose. So these three elements, the, the desire for self-management, the desire to bring wholeness into work and to seek evolutionary purpose, these three things help to orient the organization and the people in it towards realizing their true purpose and potential. And this is not just in, in work, right, in the org space, but actually in exploring what is the purpose of work itself. So it's a very, very interesting model of designing organizations that I think is worth exploring. Fascinating, Sujata. I have also been very intrigued with organization models that move away from hierarchical to decentralized and democratic structures. Teal organizations appear to be one such model. And as Sashi explained, teal organizations are better positioned to create a culture of well-being in the organization. Also, I have been fascinated with how we develop as human beings and leaders within organizations. We often learn about management and leadership by first observing our line managers, especially when we were managers for the first time. For example, when I was a manager for the first time, my biggest concern was proving myself as a manager and well-being, frankly, was not top priority. That's actually true for me as well, Deepak. You know, that was not a priority for me. And I don't remember thinking about it consciously at all. And looking back, you know, I wish I had that advice given to me, you know, from someone more experienced. Because, you know, first time managers often need guidance or ideas that are, you know, far more revolutionary and purposeful rather than just ideas that are familiar. Sashi, you know, thinking back to when you were a first time manager, is there one or two pieces of advice that you wish you had received? So as a first-time manager, I was really, you know, looking forward to being able to achieve a lot. And I didn't have any idea about the complexities of working with other people. So I started with my own idea of what I wanted to do and what needed to happen. And what I really wished is that somebody had helped me understand that my own goals and objectives would have been significantly furthered if I had been much more ready to listen to others carefully, try and understand the sense of what they were saying, and try and get into generative conversations as to how to build, as a group of people, we could build on each other's ideas in order to get to a better place. If, if I had known that something like that was possible, and if I had known how to acquire those skills and capabilities, because there is a certain amount of skill building that is required over there, and sometimes it is counterintuitive to build that skill. But if I had had that advice, if I had taken that seriously, if I had built those skills, I, I think I would have been able to, uh, to be far more effective. I think that the cost to my organization, the cost to my relationships, the cost to myself would have all come down significantly. It's actually when you know how to do these things in a very natural way, you start producing results significantly faster. And it's amazing how much faster you can be at getting to results. So if I had known that, it would really made a big difference. And if I had believed it at that time, by the way, because I may not have believed it if somebody had told me these things. 
Thank you, Sashi. That's pretty good advice for the first time, man. Sashi, I really, really enjoyed this conversation today. We're only beginning to explore well-being and what organizations can do to make well-being a core part of their strategic intent. And we may need many more such conversations to really understand what all of us need to do on that. But thank you for coming on WorkWise Pod and thank you for sharing your knowledge, passion and wisdom on well-being. We look forward to speaking to you again and hopefully at some time invite you back on WorkWise Pod. Thank you, Sashi. Thank you, Sashi. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed that. Next week, Deepak and Sujata are talking holacracies what they are and how they can change the way organizations are led and managed. You'll find the resources referred to in the episode in the show notes and more information at our website, www.workwisepod.com. We'd love to hear from you. Comment on our website or write to us at hello at workwisepod.com. Credits go to Sanjali Ranjan for the cover art and Derek Clegg for the intro and outro music. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Saumya Karun. Don't forget to subscribe to the Workwise Pod on your favorite podcasting platform and we'll see you next week. Welcome, Sashi. Very excited to have you with us today, Sashi. Okay. Welcome, Sashi. Yes. Only for Samya. Samya, welcome, Sashi. <laughs> I love you, Sashi. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done.